Hello, and welcome to Follow Your Curiosity, where we explore the ups and downs of the creative process and how to keep it moving. I'm your host, Nancy Norbeck. I am a writer, singer, improv comedy newbie, science fiction geek, and creativity coach who loves helping right-brained folks get unstuck. I am so excited to be coming to you with interviews and coaching calls to show you the depth and breadth both of creative pursuits and creative people, to give you some insight into their experiences, and to inspire you. Like a lot of creative folks, Alex Rudy can trace his creative journey back to his childhood. He started out drawing and recording his own comic book audios before taking a video production workshop in high school that led him to acting. While he took a few so-called detours along the way, as you're about to hear, everything he was curious about has factored into his creative life in one way or another, from being a wedding videographer to writing those childhood scripts to using his drawing skills to bring his screenplay to life. Alex also has a podcast, The Artist Matters, where, like me, he interviews creative people, so we also talk about what we've both taken from the interviews we've done. Spoiler, don't wait to do your thing. Alex is living proof that all you need to make things happen is to start taking steps toward them. So without further ado, here's our conversation. Alex, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Glad we could connect. Yeah, me too. I, I am curious to know how you got started in acting and other creative things. I assume that, you know, it probably started when you were a kid, but maybe I'm wrong. So... I uh, I was into drawing. Mm -hmm. That was my thing as a kid. I drew all the time. Um, and I guess my mom picked up on it because she was giving me sketch pads and crayons, but my favorite thing was colored pencils. I really love my colored pencils. And I would carry this with me everywhere and draw. My mom was going to college, and she didn't have a babysitter, so she, she took me with her. And I remember she's turning classes on with my comic books, drawing. Um, but there was this little performer side to me. Uh, she gave me a tape recorder. Mm -hmm. This is the one we put the tape in. You press play and record at the same time. Mm -hmm. It has a little condenser mic. And I recorded me doing all kinds of crazy characters. I just don't remember what some of them were, but made my own little stories on that and um it wasn't till a, a pivotal moment in 1987 <laughs> <laughs> let me take you back to that time well i've always kind of had a little bit of i could do voices and stuff like that i even remember for some reason we had a talent show in i think it was fifth grade and i just did a whole show on imitating characters i think i was doing having a costello and a little hardy maybe some cartoon characters so i had that in me mm -hmm. it wasn't until 1987 where my mom signed me up for a bosey's tv and video production course for the summer for four weeks that things were starting to turn there wow well, it was video production learning about cameras videotapes <laughs> yes we use videotapes these gigantic <laughs> Half, no, they were more like uh, three quarter inch tapes. They were huge, but it was a studio. But once they put me in front of the camera, mm hmm, I knew this was fun stuff here. Things um, happened, huh? <laughs> mm hmm. We did a skit, we just did Mike Mock's uh, talk shows, like 
like the Tonight Show type thing. And first off, I played Stevie Blunder. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was Arnold Schwartz and Bagel. <laughs> doing my best impressions of them, but yeah, giving them different names. Mm -hmm. Then when they did a mock newscast, I thought, ooh, it'd be nice to play the part of maybe doing a movie review because I was into them. They said, no, you should be the anchor. Really? Oh, yeah, you got to be the anchor. Okay. <laughs> and we did that for the second half of our course. I loved it. How old were you? Oh, I was 17. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so that sounds like, you know, pretty pretty formative experience at a pretty formative age. It was. It was It was a really fun course. I wasn't sure about going into it. You know, my, your mom signs you up for something like, what is this? Mm -hmm. I, I did fall in love with the technical part of it, too. I loved operating cameras and shooting footage. The uh, teacher of the course gave all of us video cameras to take home each day. He would just rotate it, and we'd see what someone recorded. And I think it recorded, like, hours of stuff, me and riding a bus, uh, me doing lip sync videos. And they were like, is Alex's video almost done yet? <laughs> <laughs> You guys gave me the camera, man. What can I say? Well, and cameras back then were not so small either. Video cameras were pretty big. This was a tube camera. It was kind of like this long tube that you could do zoom in and out. But it was attached to this thing you carried over your shoulder, this VCR with a VHS tape. It was heavy. You carried it almost like a purse. It's just this big, bulky, clunky thing. What is this? Is this the way it's going to be forever? Thankfully, no. Yeah. I wonder, I mean, did people think that you were like with a TV crew or, I mean, because there's no hiding that. Uh, this is funny because I had to take a bus. It was uh, far from me. I, I was living in Brentwood, New York at the time. And the place was in Bellport, which was a good, maybe, I want to say 35, 40 minutes by car. But my family couldn't pick me up in the afternoon. So here I'm walking around with this video equipment. Waiting for a bus. And one guy came up to me, like, oh, oh boy, what's he going to say? And he <laughs> said, uh, what are you doing here? Are you a film crew? Uh, I just have, you know, I'm just with a video course. Are you here to record the bus? And I thought he said bus. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to take the bus ride. No, I meant the drug bus that happened last week. Like, mm, no. Wow. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> That was interesting. <laughs> I bet it was. Good grief. <laughs> so do you think your mom just kind of knew that you were going to take to this course the way you did? Or was it just something that she saw and said, ah, this is a good way to keep Alex busy for a couple of weeks? Maybe a little bit of both. Uh, mom has always been encouraging and she provided me with all my colored pencils and all that stuff. And um I think she might have seen this as like the next possible step for me mm -hmm. and signed me up for that. I know, I don't know if it was the summer before, maybe after, she wanted to sign me up for an acting camp. But for some dumb reason, I did not want to do it. It seemed like it was mainly an outdoor thing, mm -hmm. like summertime, being outdoors. I don't know if I'm for that. But <laughs> it was a thick, I was a very thick-headed kid. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So so now you figure, what was wrong with me? Why didn't I do that? Yeah. 
It's like, man, that could have been something interesting, maybe, but can't live in the past. True enough. So what happened? Where did you go after this course ended? Well, thankfully, they had a video course for my senior year mm -hmm. in high school, and I took that, and it kind of fine-tuned the craft for me. I was in front of the camera a lot because we built the studio that's – I don't know if it's still there, but we built the studio in that wing, my class, and – it was just creating some kind of like a student video channel at mm -hmm. some times. It wasn't on frequently. We had maybe two or three videos. But we all had a part in being in front of the camera, behind the camera. And then from there, I decided, well, let me major in this. I didn't think of majoring in acting. I just thought maybe I better major in TV and video and film and all that. And I went to New York Institute of Technology in Old Westbury, New York for one, uh, two semesters mm -hmm. and it was okay, but there was problems at home and I had to leave. So I moved upstate New York to live with my dad and I continued taking courses in video. I took some uh, acting classes too, but it just never went anywhere. I mean, upstate New York, there's really not much going on there right. as far as acting. And then after a few years, I came back to Long Island because it just wasn't working out. And this time when I went to college, I had a different mindset. And my best friend, Khalid, knew that I should come. He was the one who really encouraged me to go back and join the theater club because mm -hmm. he knew. He knew I had it in me. I'm like, okay. So this was 1992. Okay. And I... Uh, Went back, same major in college, and then I joined the theater club and auditioned for my first play, which was the Greek tragedy Antigone. Okay. And I got cast as the blind prophet Tiresias. Oh, <laughs> blind prophets are always the best. <laughs> it's like, okay, I can do this. I have a, I have a blind uncle. I can use him <laughs> as inspiration. And for the rest of the semester, people nicknamed me Ty. For Tiresias, who mm -hmm. whoever worked with me in the play. Like, you know, my name is Alex. Oh, no, you're Ty. <laughs> <laughs> did it stick past the semester or was it just for the for the show? Yeah, it kind of did. Those those certain people that knew me. Hey, Ty. Uh, okay. Because <laughs> I, I was in other plays after that. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm, I'm hooked. This is awesome. Being on stage and acting with people and the audiences there. Like, this is this is the best. And so I did all the other plays after that. The next one was Pippin, and I just was in the chorus. It was my first musical. Mm -hmm. so the next one after that, The Real Inspector Hound. Okay. I got to use my British accent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and me and another theater critic, we are, we're part of the, we're sitting with the audience, but we're part of the show, seeing this debacle of a play, and then we get sucked into it. Ah, okay. That was lots of fun. And then my final play was uh, The Time of Your Life. I played Kit Carson. So I got to do my cowboy accent there. And uh, when I graduated, I'm like, okay, I've got a degree in you know, Bachelor's of Fine Arts and Communications, but I really want to try this acting thing. And what I did was um, I found this agency on Long Island. I forgot her name, but she... Got me a resume, which wasn't much at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, and 
she arranged me to get a headshot and she had me go out on some uh, extra work. I went and did a shoot in the city. It was a Wesley Snipes movie called One Night Stand. I was part of this group of people called the Russians who were <laughs> part of this parade that blocks Wesley Snipes from leaving New York City. Okay. I mean, we, we didn't speak, but we were just this crowd. Like his, his cab was blocked. And then it was weird. At one point, he gets out of the cab and he's crossing through the crowd. He is two inches from me. Like, oh my God, that's Wesley Snipes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he's shorter than me. <laughs> it's like, oh my goodness, this big, burly guy on screen is a little shorter than me in real life. Like, well, this is bizarre. Yeah, I would think so. But it was pretty wild to be in something, a real big production. Like, well, this is what it's like. Hmm. And I did some extras, extra work in, there was a movie In and Out. Mm -hmm. um, I was in the scene where Matt Dillon's character wins the Oscar, <laughs> presented by Glenn Close. And that was the scene. We just filmed it over and over and over again. But man, like, man there's Matt Dillon, there's Glenn Close. Oh, my God. It's them. This is incredible. <laughs> so is that enough one... to hook you forever? Uh, well, <laughs> I got hooked, unfortunately, by my ex-girlfriend. Okay. And I put all my energy into this girl. And, you know, I just, oh, I wish I could go back in time and kick me, myself in the pants. It was just, she just put everything on hold for me and the relationship lasted maybe what? Maybe two years, because mm -hmm. I met her in a play. I did a play there and with her, and then I just put everything to, to the side. Like then, when we broke up, I'm like, let me try and get back into this a little bit more. I got an extra job shooting the movie for Love of the Game. It's a Kevin Costner movie about mm -hmm. a baseball movie, and you can actually see me on screen. There's a guy, about 20 minutes into the movie, everybody, if you ever watch it, there's a guy heckling Costner while sitting in the stands, and above him, kind of to the left of him, is little old me. It was a very surreal moment, like sitting in the theater, like, I'm here, and I'm there. Whoa. <laughs> it was great. And then after that, I said, well, let me try something else. And I was always thinking, I love to do voices. Mm-hmm. So I was looking at Backstage, which is the newspaper for actors, and they were listing all kinds of things. And I said, wouldn't it be interesting if this was the newspaper that came out with voiceover acting? And there it was on the shelf. Oh, okay, this is divine intervention, maybe. Mm -hmm. But I'm looking through all the voice acting teachers, New York City, New York City, New York City. Like, I don't want to trek all the way out there, but. I found one on Long Island, and his name was Chuck McKibben. And he'd worked and studied with good old uh, Mel Blanc. Well, there you go. <laughs> nice. And it really upped my game because I didn't, I thought I was good, but he mm -hmm. really showed me there's a lot more to chewing your words, as he says. I like that. And just hitting things a certain way, adding emphasis, especially for commercials. Mm hmm. Because you got to believe what you're saying. Yeah, you really moment. do. It shows. And it helped. I got some voiceover work 
a little bit thing, a few things after that. I even did a, a voiceover as the main character for this PC game called Diamonds in the Rough. That must be really interesting. I mean, because it's a game, right? So there have to be multiple options for what happens to a character depending on what the player does. How how does that work to record a voice for a game? What I was given was a script and my lines, maybe there was lines before that just to give me the idea, like if there was an interaction with another character mm-hmm. and I would just record at home and do a few variations and email them the recordings and they'd either say yay or nay or change it up a little bit. And it it take maybe a month or so because there was a lot of dialogue. And it was a fun little gig. I got to play a character and then to get the video game, like, oh, wow, that's what I look like? That's my <laughs> character? This young dude with, like, a, a fluffy hairdo and mm-hmm. kind of baggy pants and he's just walking around. I never finished the game, but it's like, well, that's, that's, that's what I recorded. Wow. So if you recorded that from home... Did you have any interaction with the other actors who were recording at all? No. Nope. How does not that? Because I mean, I've I, I have not done as much acting as you have, I don't think, but I know that the, that whole give and take is so important to how things go on stage. How how was it to adjust to that? I just imagined what they would say. I, the, the dialogue is pretty straightforward, and uh, I'm pretty good at just imagining scenarios. I mean. Uh, when I write something, sometimes I'm acting out all parts. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of easy for me. Also, this other tidbit that I think back in 1982, my friend Jeffrey and me decided to record a comic book. We did an X-Men comic book and uh, we played different characters. Mm-hmm. And we played music in the background live because we didn't have the capabilities of adding music and right. sound effects later. So. We'd maybe do sound effects with our mouth, or we'd have maybe a little bo- box full of rocks that we'd shake around for explosions. And uh, I enjoyed it. So after he moved away, I still kept doing it with uh, my favorite was the West Coast Avengers. And I recorded the whole first 13 issues, doing all the voices, including the ladies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> With my limited sound effects and uh, music in the background. But what happened is I'm playing like a real song. Like you'd hear Depeche Mode playing or something in the background, but I'd have to stop recording because he's about to sing. (laughs) So you'd hear me say, well, I have to click, click, go to headquarters now. Like, oh my goodness. And so then when I had the capabilities with a nicer computer, like, you know what? I should just redo these. I can do them better now. I could add music mm-hmm. where I want, sound effects where I want. My acting's a little better. And, you know, all the, all the action's in front of you. You see what the characters are doing. You see if they're getting ready to fight or they're ready to emote. And I did more issues. I think I went up to issue number 24 with it and just recorded it all. And it came out great, I think. And it was a good training ground for me to get even a little better at my craft. That's fantastic. 
I mean, I, I love that you were doing it as a kid because that's just such a kid thing to do, except that, you know, I never would have thought to actually record it as a kid. You know, I would have acted it out with a friend or maybe on my own, but the idea of recording it never would have crossed my mind. But then to do it again years later when you can actually do justice to it, that that must have that must have been an interesting experience just because I don't know. You had to be connecting back to who you were when you were a kid, even though you could do it better now. Mm-hmm. Very true. Because I, I was listening to the old ones. I'm like, oh, my goodness. This is just <laughs> this is almost unbearable to listen to. Like, OK, I know I could do this better. And I kept some of the voices exactly the same. Like I did a certain character's voice this way and I kept that. Mm-hmm. And but then there was new characters and new ways to make them sound. And I knew I could do accents a little better and just take my time. I could do a retake if needs be. Because mm-hmm. there was times I'd be just like fumbling over my words and just keep soldiering on with my old recordings. <sighs> Let's redo this, make it you know worth the time to listen to. And I, mm-hmm. I listen to them almost every year. That's every great. Year. I'll listen to them while I'm driving from beginning to end. Has anybody else heard them? Oh, yeah. Um, I posted some of them on, uh, I've made a separate podcasting site for those. And actually, in 1999, I decided to do this big Avengers miniseries comic called Under Siege, where the Avengers headquarters gets uh, infiltrated by the Masters of Evil. And this is where I recruited a lot of other people to do voices, Mm -hmm. acting friends, people in my class, and just people I, this is where I pulled everywhere to have people do voices. That came out really good. And that's actually up on the uh, voiceover side I have. That, that's got a lot of listens. I was, that was an undertaking to get all these people recording at different styles and put them all together. And this wasn't with the benefit of having a computer at the time. Mm-hmm. I had this digital recorder machine and figured it out. That was a good, good isn't accomplishment. It, isn't it amazing how, you know, you figure out the things that let you do the things you want to do? You know, I mean, you you may sit there and say, because I, I, I can imagine somebody listening to this thinking, yeah, I don't know how to do any of that. But you weren't born knowing how to do this either. And you just sat down and said, I'm going to figure it out because I want to make this thing happen. Very true. Yeah. A lot of people don't don't realize they can do that, I think. Yeah, believe in yourself. Uh, <laughs> I doubted myself dozens of times. And it's... And then there's my biggest weakness, I would say, is pure laziness. Uh, it's too much, too difficult. I'm not going to bother. But as time lurches forward, my friends, <laughs> you're going to start to realize how precious it really is. Yes, it is. And it's better to try something and fail than not to try it. And if you keep trying something long enough, though, You'll give it a whirl. If it doesn't work out, why not? But maybe there's something there that could lead to something else. Got to give it a try. Yeah. I mean, now you know how to use a bunch of equipment that a lot of people don't know how to use. So, (laughs) you know, any, I mean, we both have podcasts. We both figured it out, you know, because again, (laughs) I was not born knowing how to put this together, but 
it's not it's not rocket science. If you want to do it, you sit down and you figure out how to do it. And, you know, so part of me says when you say that your biggest weakness is laziness, that maybe those just aren't the things that are drawing you right now. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. And you're doing other stuff. So mm. sometimes sometimes it is pure laziness. So, you know, can go either way. But sometimes it's just I'm pulled toward this thing, but I think I should be doing this other thing. And so I'm getting down on myself because I'm not doing the other thing, even though the first thing is just like, wow, check this out. I'm a victim of that for sure. <laughs> I'm so a victim of that creatively. That's why I um, wanted to do less of the podcast and because I have these story ideas that I want to write down. And mm -hmm. it's like, ugh. I think back, man, I had all these years where I wasn't working full time and I just wasted so much time not doing anything. Mm -hmm. Can't get it back, but just got to soldier on, move you, forward. Yeah, you can't get it back, but I think it, it, with luck, makes us appreciate the time that we do have a whole lot more. It's like, okay, I'm not going to do that again. You know, I'm going gonna to sit down and do the stuff that I want to do now because... Because I don't know how much more time I'll have to do it. Which, for for those of you who haven't turned 40 yet, <laughs> that's kind of when your brain starts to go, oh, wait, hang on. Hang on. How much time is there still? I thought that it was infinite. And it's not. Uh-oh. So, so yeah, you do, you do reach that point at some point or another, right around there, I think. And, and you, you start to say, all right, what do I really want to get done? Because who knows? Any anything could happen. For sure. Yeah. So where did you go from recording all of these comic books? Well, once again, acting was put on hold. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was a wedding videographer for a while. So I was able to do some creative things. I learned how to get through that. But I was working for a company. Mm -hmm. They were called the pros and you could book everything through there. The videographer, photographer, and DJ, if you wanted to. Um, and as I kept recording, I got a little better at it because you, the way they do it is they really didn't do a lot of editing. Mm -hmm. You, the cameraman has to be kind of aware of what to record and not to record. So you're kind of doing this in camera editing. Interesting. Yeah. But then when I left them, I started doing gigs on my own and I had all that knowledge of how to put that together and i became a video editor for a company that did do wedding videos and bar mitzvah videos and so i was just the editor mm -hmm. but as far as acting i did i did finally get to be in a shakespearean play nice othello that was fun to speak the bard's words I yeah played cassio cassio who gets crapped on by everybody <laughs> <laughs> But he survives. That's that's not nothing in <laughs> Othello or Hamlet or a bunch of others. Yeah, it was, it was real fun. But once again, I put the acting to the side. And uh, when we moved down to Florida in 2008, we tried to do our own business and it wasn't working out. It was a hot dog cart. Just couldn't find the right locations. Mm -hmm. um, but the was like, well, there's. Let me see if I can get some acting gigs. I'm trying to think of the order here. I think the very first thing I said, I saw dinner theater. And I know some friends that have been in dinner theater. I'm like, it pays. Mm -hmm. Let me give it a try. So I auditioned and 
I got cast right away. And the first show they were doing was this Italian Jewish mafia show. <laughs> yeah. What a combination. It's called the Godfather's Meshuggah Wedding. Uh huh. <laughs> the director and co producer of the show, Debbie Ortiz, she did the show. She acted on the show when she lived in New York City. And now she was living in Florida. She asked the people, the producers, she could do the show down here in Florida because there's an audience for it. Mm-hmm. And so she did. And I got to play Father Neil Scalopini. And it was fun interacting with people and being part of a wedding and interacting with the guests. And uh, from there, we did a murder mystery. And I was the guy who got murdered. Mm-hmm. And Debbie's son, Frank, wrote a show, which was this Greek god spoofology. It was like the Greek gods are throwing a party for Zeus. And some of the uh, other gods, was it the Roman gods? Yeah, they crashed the party. <laughs> oh, fun. That sounds like a little bit of an adventure. Yeah. Yeah, I got to uh, play Dionysus, the god of wine and party. Well, that should have been fun. Oh, yeah. He was a fun character to play. I got to channel my flamboyant side mm-hmm. but then frankie wrote this and i'm like hmm that's pretty interesting that he wrote this and me and one of the other actors thought about writing a halloween themed show like writing a show can i do this so we collaborated a lot but i did most of the writing and i based it mainly on the actors who were already in the show but Dialogue was coming, like Halloween. You could do a lot of Halloween jokes and things mm-hmm. like that. Like, wow. I, and then when it was done, like, I wrote this thing. Holy cow. And we were able to perform it twice. I think a dinner show during Halloween is a hard sell because uh, the last show we did, people were chatting with each other more than looking at our performance. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, hey. But still, to hear all these words that I wrote coming from people, like, oh, my goodness. This is how it sounds now. Wow. Yeah. How, how did that match up with what was in your head when you wrote it? Was it very similar? Was it really different? It was pretty close. I mean, uh, they say you shouldn't uh, write with people's voices in your head, but I couldn't help it because I mm-hmm. knew this troop of, troop of actors and I knew who would be each role. And, and then based on that person and their personality, I know they would do justice to these lines. One person played the witch. Another one played a Frankenstein tank character. I even made like the Bride of Frankenstein girl have she was a cheerleader, mm-hmm. but she had the hair. And she was like <laughs> she was like a valley girl. She's perfect for that. And most of the most I think most of the colorful dialogue came through her because she had such funny things that she could say based on <laughs> the kind of character she was. And I played Principal Dracula. <laughs> I can say those lines like, wow, this is so much fun. And even my wife choreographed the dance numbers, so she got involved in it too. And it just raised things up too to see, wow, we're doing her dance moves. And I see her in the background. She's like, happy to see how it turned out. That's really cool. I mean, because it sounds like like the dinner theater is almost like a repertory company where you've just got the same group. That, that keeps doing the same stuff. So you can kind of cast it in your head because you know who's going to be playing all of those parts, which right. is different than writing something and having no idea what's going to happen to it later. And Absolutely. and just, I have to think that there's, 
because I've never done it that way. I, I wrote a one act play 20 years ago, mm-hmm. um, but had no idea. You know, it was just me and my imagination. No, no internal <laughs> casting for that at all. But but I have to think that, you know, when you know that somebody can pull off a certain line or a certain look or whatever, that that has to make it a whole lot more fun to write it because, you know, you're you're producing it in your head as you're doing it. Yeah, I, I knew that certain actors like they're going to raise this to a whole now, another level. And, and I watch it from time to time as we record it. And like, man, they were just they nailed it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, oh, man, I wish we could do it again. Maybe they'll come back from the dead. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this sounds like a whole new play you need to write right there. Yeah, I was going to think of adapting it to a, a, a movie or maybe a TV series or something like that. But stage to screen can vary. Some of the mm-hmm. jokes are better for stage because, you know, stage could be it could be a little more cheesy and funny because it's happening live, but on screen it right. could be a little, that's plain dialogue. Mm-hmm. May not play, but we'll see. Well, and I'm curious because you have the video background and you've done, you know, all of the voices since you were a kid. And then you've done the acting and the voice work and now the writing. I have to think that all of that has to influence you know, I'm, I'm kind of picturing it like this, this big circle that just keeps going and and going, you know, I mean, does, does the video experience, especially like, you know, when you basically had to edit and in the moment when you were doing the wedding videography, does that influence how you act? Does it influence, I don't know if you've done any actual stage directing, but it, you know, it, the things that you learn from one kind of go into all the other ones. Sorry about that. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I never thought about that. Hmm. I want to say that maybe they do. I'm in a creative float in all of those. There's that creative energy writing something. There's that creative energy filming something or acting. That's very addictive. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you know. Mm-hmm. And when you're in that uh, zone, man, it seems like obviously time goes faster because you're doing something you enjoy. And one definitely can influence the other. Like I've said, there, even just yesterday, I was, uh, I, I created my own comic book characters. Mm-hmm. And um, a few years ago, I was just looking at some of my old drawings and there was this team of six characters I called them Squadron Six. And it was all <laughs> it was all these superpowered dudes teamed up. I'm like, yeah. But I looked at it more like something started happening in me. Like, what if I explored this team? What could I do with them? And then I just thought, well, there's six dudes. We need some females. So I just you know, swapped out two of the male characters and made them female. And then, but I said, well, what if I do this? Maybe make one an alien. Mm-hmm. And then I said, well, what if aliens have been living with us for generations? What if they're part of, what kind of world would that be? And I'm saying to myself, you know, everybody based superhero stories on Earth. Well, what if I do a planet that's like Earth, but not Earth? Mm-hmm. Some of the same rules, but, you know, a whole different world where aliens have lived with us for generations. Like, where is this coming from? Mm-hmm. 
And then I just create this whole story of how these people got their powers. They're all basically people who are down on their luck or they've got it really bad, but they have noble hearts and they find this magical thing that grants them powers. And as I'm writing it, sometimes I'll stop and then I'll act out the scene doing the, all the voices and just mm-hmm. walking around my house looking like a weirdo. But, so it does influence like I, I could, as I say the lines, like, yes, this is what he or she would say. And then I build them up from there. And I, I just had this notebook that I bought for this squadron six and I'm, writing, 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 like, where is this coming from? It's just like endless writing coming out of me. Like, I didn't know this was here. Mm-hmm. I got to get another notebook. It's <laughs> a good problem <laughs> like, to have. Yeah. And then I write this whole first story arc and then I'm like, okay, here's another story idea. And I just expanded on it and made it even, even a crazier concept where, I don't know if this will ever get published, but one of the six dies right away. It's like, well, you don't have Squadron Six anymore, but since there's magic, mm-hmm. you, there's some kind of where he, he uh, the five people have to go into battle, and then a sixth member pops out of nowhere from one of my other superhero teams. Like, what am I doing with you people? What's going on here? They're like, who are you? And then it's like this whole other thing. Once the the mission is done, the other person gets sent back to their other team, and it's like, where's this coming from? But it just came out of me. I think I filled three notebooks with different stories with Squadron Six. Like Squadron Six. Like I didn't think they'd be the team that would really get my juices flowing, but Mm -hmm. it happened. Clearly, they have. Yeah, I think those moments when you when you land in that place where you don't know where it's coming from are the most amazing, and and also the ones that are the most baffling because you do afterwards. If at least if you're like me, you kind of sit there going. Where, how? <laughs> like, was I even really here? Because I'm not exactly sure I was. It's like yeah. something happened that doesn't seem to have had anything really to do with me. Yeah. It's really strange. And when I um, wrote my first screenplay, my feature length screenplay called Dead Planet. That was just because I was watching The Walking Dead was just starting at the time. Mm-hmm. And I wa- finished watching that, and I was just channel surfing, and I saw the movie Underworld, which deals with vampires and werewolves. I'm like, I've never seen vampires, werewolves, and zombies in one movie together. Okay, I guess I'm doing this. Yeah. <laughs> and I just had a story idea, and just the, the vampires and werewolves have to team up to fight the zombies, but like, well, zombies by themselves, they're a threat, but there's got to be something more. So I just came up with an idea like this human being wants revenge against the vampires and werewolves. And he suddenly gets this mystic artifact that can help him control zombies and attack the werewolves and vampires. So he becomes the bad guy and the vampires and werewolves have to team up to go after this guy. And... That's the script. I, I definitely came across some walls. I hit a few walls. Because mm-hmm. early on there was a, my main vampire is a female. I call her Cyril. I just don't know where the came from, name came from, but she was Cyril. And my main werewolf dude was Pharaoh. And Pharaoh was in charge of like a military regiment of werewolf soldiers. I mean, they, they're human, but they can mm-hmm. change, change at will. And from the longest time, Cyril was involved with a male vampire. They were a couple. 
But as I got further along, like, this dynamic is not working. Uh, what am I going to do? This is like, <sighs> so I said, wait a second. What if they're brother and sister? There can still be tension from between them because of mm-hmm. sibling bonds. And they could have their arguments and stuff like this could still work. There's not, not going to be any romance between them. It's just going to be this tension. And then, well, what if Cyril gets involved with Pharaoh? Like, nah, no, they won't do that. <laughs> but as you know, characters take a life of their own. Yes, they do. The story takes a life of its own. And I'm, I got deeper into the third act. I'm like, whoa. Yeah, they need to hook up. Because <laughs> this will create more <laughs> attention. The stakes will be raised. Like, wow. So that's where that ended up. And of course, afterwards I finished it and I tried shipping it around, but you know, you need, you need an agent, but you write to an agent where we don't take any, any unsolicited material. Mm -hmm. So how do I solicit it, man? Yeah. Yeah. It's that double-edged sword. It's like, you know, in order to get into equity or SAG or whatever, you have to have done the work that you can't do without being in equity or SAG. So Yeah. But, but, you know, it's interesting because as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, yeah, what if really is the most powerful question in, in mm. creativity? You, you know, it's just it's just what if what if the zombies and the vampires and the werewolves are all in one story? What does that look like? Mm. How does that how does that happen? How does it go? You know, what if this this character hooks up with this other character? You know, or in some cases, what if this character insists that they're hooking up with this other character, no matter what you thought was going to happen? And have you had those conversations where you like are arguing with the characters because they're going, no, 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 I'm doing this. And you're like, no, you need to be over here. And they're like, no, no, I'm I'm turning right, not left. So sorry. Yeah, they stop me. Like, no, you have to go through the cave. Nope, I'm going this way. Oh, OK, yeah. <laughs> let's see what happens. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm going to sacrifice myself. No, I don't want you to die. Listen, I have to sacrifice myself. Okay. <laughs> and it makes the story better. Yeah, they tend uh, to win. They, they can be very stubborn. Yeah. I mean, they're just as real to me. I mean, mm-hmm. Cyril's real to me. She, I mean, but it's just when I look back, like, oh, my goodness. She was nothing, and I created her. And, of yeah. course, being the artist, I drew her. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, Cyril, nice to meet you. This is what I envision you to be. Mm-hmm. And actually from there, I said, well, you know what? I'm an artist. This is where a lot of my other skills came into play. Like, what if, there's what <laughs> if as a promotional thing or just as an experiment, what if I draw out the entire movie and break it up into scenes and post them, the videos with voiceover and sound effects on, online? <sighs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I did that. Uh, some of the drawing is a little choppy, but for the most part, I try to be as detailed as I can be because I kind of wanted it to get done, mm-hmm. but look good. I didn't color it. I just left it in black and white, but I draw it in pencil first then I ink over it. I got some really good pens to ink with and did the voiceovers for it. I originally did all the voices, but my wife was saying, you're doing the women's voices too. <laughs> <laughs> Well, can you do the women's voices? And she said, yes, I can. I'm like, okay. So I did a version with her voices, her voiceovers, because there's only two female characters in there. And uh, it came out quite amazing. There was a, It was just an undertaking, having to mm-hmm. draw everything, then scan it, 
onto the computer, then use an editing program to edit the scenes just right with the sound effects. And I did narrate the uh, the interior, exterior of people don't know when you're doing a writing a script, you have to write interior, like mm -hmm. army base, so you know where you are and what time of day. So I read all that too. And uh, I think it's like almost three hours total. Just wow. I haven't watched in a long time, but I broke up every scene as its own video on mm -hmm. YouTube. And I mean, I had some likes and stuff like that. Obviously, Dead Planet is not a feature length film yet. Have you but, ever thought about producing it as a feature length film? You've got the video skills, you have the script, you have a group of actors. I just don't think I could pull it off. That's a big undertaking. There's a lot of special effects. There's going to be a lot of special effects because you got the zombie makeup, the vampires mm -hmm. fly, the vampires fly. Oh. So they, sprout, they sprout wings. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of explosions, a lot of gunfire. They're on a locomotive at one point. Yeah. Yeah, that's not so, your weekend quick <laughs> indie film, is it? <laughs> no. But I did shoot a short film. Did you write the short film too? Yes. Uh, let's cool. go back in time to 1989. <laughs> <laughs> um, my friend Khalid, uh, he made a short film that I never got to see, but he called it The Intruder, and he wanted me to direct a remake of it. Like me... I've never directed anything on screen before. Like, okay, I think I could try it. And I shot them the short film with a super VHS camera. Because <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't, back then, if you wanted to shoot with film, you actually had to get film stock and a film camera, people. Mm -hmm. the, the video cameras didn't shoot in uh, film quality back then. Right. I said, ah, let me just shoot this. I had some acting friends that I'd done plays with in acting classes and I put them in the movie and it came out okay for what it was. It was just like a few minutes. And then I had this other idea after I broke up with my ex because <laughs> she told me this. If I got pregnant and we broke up, I wouldn't tell you. I'm like, oh, well, that's really sweet. Wow. Yeah. But I thought, hmm, well, what happened? Well, what would happen if I did meet this child when she was an adult or close mm -hmm. to adulthood years down the road? What would that be like? So I wrote this script about it back then. And I, and I figured it'd be really nice to have a father and daughter play the roles, real father and daughter. And I knew some actors that would have been good, but I just didn't think I could pull her off back mm -hmm. in 2000 or 2001 when I wrote the script. So I just put it on the side. And fast forward to 2016. Debbie Ortiz, who did the uh, dinner theater group, and her son Frank uh, put together a short film that Frank wrote called Silver Alert. And it's just about this old man who's uh, his wife has uh, Alzheimer's and doesn't know who he is. And he's just figuring out what you know, the last days of his life is going to be. And they cast me as the doctor. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm like, wow, this came out really nice. This is a short film they put together and they did it. Hmm. Maybe there's something there. I didn't think much of it until some kids at church put together a short film. For what it was, it was okay. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, there's no excuse. <laughs> yeah, these kids could put something together. Come on. What am I, what yeah. am I sitting on my, on my butt for? So, so let me revisit that script. Dusted it off, so to speak, and then tweaked it because it was just 
just dialogue heavy with a lot of unnecessary stuff. And I polished it. I said, okay, what do I need? I need a camera person or a location. Let's see, what do I start with? What's the primary thing? I need a park because everything takes place in a park. The movie's called The Park. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found, like, thankfully, I found a park close to home. I didn't want to travel all around Tampa, Florida. So, shoot, there's probably nicer parks, but this one is close by. And it, it, it had to have a fork in the road. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was very important. said, okay, now I need to find a place to audition my actors. And I asked my church, and they said I could audition there when church is not going on. And then I need a guy to film this. So I found a guy who was not only camera operator, he had his own equipment, but he also had a sound microphone equipment, and he also was an editor. Excellent. And then, like, okay, maybe maybe I'll get lucky and have a real father and daughter play the parts like I really wanted to. Mm -hmm. And I was getting people auditioning, and they were okay. And then the last two people to come in were a real father and daughter. And I remember when the actress, her name is Lauren, was doing her audition. I was leaning forward, like, oh, wow, Mm -hmm. (laughs) this is a star. I got to put her in this movie. And her father was good, too. I wouldn't say he was great, but he was really good. And I knew they would work together. And I know I could work with them and, you know, cast them and shot the movie on St. Patrick's Day two years ago. And looking at the rough cut with my editor, it was okay, but there was something missing. I can't give away the twist. There is a twist. Because mm-hmm. the whole thing is the girl's meeting the, the father for the first time, and right. her mom has, hasn't painted a very lovely picture of him. Mm-hmm. But he's a good guy. He's trying to convince her. And then when she, you know, she's had it with him, like she, there's all this tension, and she's trying to leave the park, but she can't. She can't seem to get out of the park. And that, when she discovers why, it just didn't have that punch when mm-hmm. we shot it the first time. So I said, oh, man, I got to do reshoots. But then you know, me and the guy discussed it like, yeah, th- this would be a better thing. Like, yes, it is. And so we did the reshoot, and it was a much better movie. And even at that time, not to derail too much, but I decided to make a podcast about mm-hmm. making the movie. I said, let me do a podcast about making the movie. And it would be kind of educational for people and mm-hmm. show how I did this. And I interviewed my cameraman and actors and my, uh, the guy who scored my music, he lives in uh, Kentucky. We just found him somewhere. So we were, he was sending me music online. And I'd listen to it and you know, like, this is, this is good. This guy is, it just adds a whole new layer to this. Mm-hmm. And when we was done and I said, let me try the film festival circuit. And I got into one which was the uh, Tampa Bay Underground Film Festival. Cool. And I got to see it with an audience. And some of my friends and my dad was there to see it. It was quite a moment. I bet. How, how did the audience react to it? They, were, they enjoyed it. And like when the twist happens, I heard, <gasps> Oh, that's great. <laughs> and we did a little Q&A afterwards. It was a really special day. I would think so. So are you going to do more? We shall see. I am writing uh, a script right now based on where I do my day job, mm-hmm. which is I work at the department in a clerk and comptroller's office, and I have to deal with a lot of domestic violence injunctions and divorces and things like that. 
and I'm writing a script called Injunction. Okay. Yeah, because that sounds like, you know, not only a lot of fun, but a pretty gratifying project to have worked on. It really was to see that where it started. It was like almost like a whole year. I, mm-hmm. I, I cast everybody into that in February, shot the movie in March, and then by the end of the year, I was in a film festival. I like, wow. Yeah. This, this is something. I mean, you never to know see. where something like that's going to lead, but, it, you know, and it's entirely possible that it wouldn't have led to a film festival. But, hey, it did, and it was worth doing anyway, you know, because yeah. it's it's such a, a cool experience to watch your stuff come to life like that, that. So what if it doesn't land in a film festival? You still made a movie, you know? Yeah. Which the person who's that. sitting around saying, oh, I could never do that, has not made a movie. <laughs> You're your own worst enemy sometimes. Sometimes we really are. I think we, we underestimate what we really can do. Really? Like, I it, I always say this, like, if you, you start something in motion, it's going to keep going. Like, I know, okay, I got to make the movie. So what now? Park. I need a park. Bam, there it was. Then they auditioned and this. And then things just started falling into place. And I'm telling you, once you get that that ball rolling, you it'll, it'll keep rolling. Mm-hmm. You just got to keep up with it. And be aware of where you want the ball to turn, but doors will open. Yeah. I think people don't realize that too. They just think, I don't know how to do this, therefore I can't. It's like, well, you know, go out and start talking to people. You know, somebody somebody knows somebody who knows somebody, at the very least, if you just start talking to people about it. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't want us to end without talking about your podcast, which is somewhat <laughs> similar to mine. But yes. I'm curious to know what made you decide that you wanted to start The Artist Matters. And, you know, you've been at it for a little bit more than a year. What what have you... Well, well let's start with, with what made you decide to start it. I'm so glad you asked that question. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I said, I started a podcast for my movie, The Park. Mm-hmm. And um, I think back then... The idea might have been planted like I was listening to podcasts at the time I'd finally gotten. My dad gave me a smartphone, and that's when I started working for the clerk's office. So 20, actually, I started working for the clerk's office in 2017. That's right, when I shot the park in 2018. And I was interested in listening to a podcast about making a movie because I had the idea. Mm-hmm. And then it fell into other ones like, these are pretty interesting. So this is what a podcast is. I was able to listen to them while I was working because I wasn't working with the civil department at the time. I was working in a record center and you're just in a big, gigantic room pulling files. Mm-hmm. Might as well listen to something productive. And then when I said, well, let me do my own for the movie. And then even then I was thinking, you know, I'm interviewing the actors for the movie I'd like to hear more stories. I hear people interviewing all these kind of big names and all that, but what about the artists? I'm an artist. I love artists. Mm-hmm. And so even when I interviewed my musician who did my movie, I kind of was already thinking about an artist matters thing. And I kind of, that was maybe like ground zero for how I wanted to get my questions for him aligned. And then I said, okay, what do I need to start my podcast? And of course, I already had the microphone mm-hmm. and I had the mixer, but how do I record on my computer? And it was through, to, to interview my um, musician, I used my smartphone and connected the mini pin wire into the RCA cable into the mixer. I'm like, <laughs> will this work? And I just started talking to him. I'm like, yeah, the audio is pretty good. All right, I've got something here. Mm-hmm. So it can be done. 
And then I said, okay, if I do a podcast where I interview artists, what's going to be called? I thought of the heart of the artist mm-hmm. first. I thought that was really good, but there was a book with that name. Like, mm, maybe not. <laughs> but I'm mean, thinking like, you know, people's lives matters, black lives matters. Uh, not that I'm comparing artist matters to that, but artists do matter. And especially when I hear about funding getting cut for mm-hmm. school programs and the arts, like, oh, come on, we won't survive without the arts. Mm-hmm. It's who we are. There's cave drawings for crying out loud. Back yeah. then, that was our way of expressing story. Back then. So, I was thinking of starting in September, but I think my computer took a dive. So (laughs) I'm like, let me push this back a little bit. So kept getting ideas and I was able to get a logo and I said, okay, now I have to get a podcast side. So I put out some money to get a good uh, podcast site where I could store hours of Mm -hmm. recordings. And then of course, reaching out to people, drafting up questions, listening to other podcasts to see how maybe they do it. And then I um, started with people I knew, my acting teacher, some acting friends, a person who was a photographer, a friend who was a poet, one who did graphic arts, and the friend who, was, who did graphic arts actually did my business cards. Thank you, Rodine. <laughs> and from there, I just said, okay, this is going to happen. I, and I, I came out with my website later. I said, let me just start it, start mm-hmm. the podcast, at least get the podcast out there. Yep. I had a Wix site, but their deal for a full-time website wasn't really that good. Mm-hmm. So I ended up going with Bluehost and eventually came out with the website. But I got my people ready, and I, I did my interviews, and I think I had three or four in the can by the time I said, all right, we're going to start in March of 2019. And the Artist Matters was born. Yeah. Yay. Yay. So what an accomplishment. Yes. Though again, I'm I'm reminded as you're talking, you know, that like really what you need to to create so many things these days like lives in your pocket, right? You used your smartphone. When I did my first interview, it was on my iPad in the hotel room because that's what I had with me. So, it, it, you know, I I mean, you don't necessarily need a fancy studio. You don't necessarily need all of the things that you think you might need cuz a smartphone can do all these things. It can be your video camera. It can be your, your, you know, podcast recorder, you know, in a, in a jam interviewing somebody and recording it on your phone beats not interviewing them because you think your phone's not good enough. So, yeah. So, so what have you learned that, that maybe you didn't expect to learn through the process of doing your show? As I've um, interviewed people throughout time, uh, I've learned how to, tailor my questions a little better. Mm-hmm. One of my first interviews, this guy's resume just had so much stuff and I wanted to explore it, but like, this is going on way too long, this interview. Not that I've done interviews that were two hours and it was incredible and mm-hmm. I kept it all. Uh, some interviews that have been two hours, I've broken up into two parts. Mm-hmm. But I've learned a lot that persistence is a key. If you want to make art your career, And you can do it. It can be done. One of my most inspiring was Rebecca Flott. She came from uh, Brazil, hardly knowing English, but she knew she wanted to be a painter. Mm -hmm. She had to do some some, uh, 
cleaning jobs and things like that before she was able to launch, but it was a process. Mm -hmm. And you just can't be sitting on your butt. You have to put in the work every day. Um, as a writer, I'm sure you know that. There's some days you don't want to write, but you got to do the art somehow, some way. And I, I, my aim with this podcast was to show people when they think of art, they think right away of painting mm-hmm. or something like that. Like there's music, there's writing, there's acting, there's uh, jewelry, mm-hmm. there's tattoos. Uh, there's so much more out there. Those are artists. And I think I've become a better conversationist when I speak to people outside of the podcast. Mm-hmm. I think when I'm meeting people, I don't want to really do small talk now that I'm, I'm meeting them like, okay, let's, let's explore. If I know someone more, like, I'm not just want to talk. Oh, how was your day? How's your job? Like, why are you doing your job? Why are you working there? Is there something else you want to do? You know, tell me, tell me more. And it's maybe look at myself as an artist. Like, am I doing enough? And of course, most of the time I'm not. Uh, like, man, these people are inspiring me. I gotta, I gotta move my butt and start doing things. And I'm very grateful for their time and their words and their inspiration. Uh, putting the year long. The one year bash together was really reflective time for me to see, wow, this is what these people said. And if take all their little nuggets of wisdom and put them together. Like, mm-hmm. And also that I was able to get some people that I didn't think I'd ever talk to. Like yeah. Alex Ferrari does uh, the indie film hustle. And he said, yes. I'm like, what? Oh my goodness. I got to interview him now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I did. And, it was a two-hour conversation. I, I, I didn't mean to take up so much time, but man, it was like a master class. Mm-hmm. It was so much worth he and value he brought. And another one was Sig Neutron, who won face off the uh, special effects makeup competition mm-hmm. show on Sci-Fi. Like, and I, he said yes. I'm like, oh my goodness! I learned so much more about the show and his craft. It showed me that you 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 can get a dialogue with someone. I love that we're able to do this through this mm-hmm. technology. And still have a connection with people. And I know that I really have to step up my game. If anything, I've learned from these artists is that, wow, they can do it. I can do it. And hopefully whoever's listening believes they can do it too. Well, I want to inspire other people to say, maybe I can take up a paintbrush or take an acting class or write a novel or a short story or get into graphic arts or maybe explore jewelry. Yeah. Podcasting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear all that a lot. Because, you know, that's that's largely why I do this, too. Mm. You know, it's it's to show how wide the range of creativity is and that, yeah, you can you can do this. Absolutely. Everybody can do it. They just have to actually stop thinking about it and and make it happen. I've been reading the uh, subtle art of not giving a an F. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, one thing that struck me, and it's just such a simple concept. I think the author was in math class when he was young, and the professor said, you're having trouble doing a math problem, just do it. Do something. If it's, if it's even a little part of it, work it out. Mm-hmm. The process itself will maybe help you figure things out. 
And when I think about it, when I have been looking for inspiration or motivation, guess what? You're going to be keeping on looking for it and not doing it. Yeah. As you start, as you force yourself to start doing something, the inspiration and motivation will come in the process. Just like writing Dead Planet. Mm-hmm. There's times like, oh, I don't want to write another line of this friggin' movie. <laughs> But all right, like I've hit the I've hit the wall. Like, what am I doing? Oh, I don't like writing anymore. But all right, let's just 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 write, see what happens. Like, oh well, you know what? I guess I have to scrap all this and go back. <laughs> it stinks, but this is where the story has to go mm-hmm. to elevate it. Well, so and you don't really, know until you try it. You know, you don't know until you write it and you find that out. Absolutely, it's so true. So do something, whether it's just. Maybe reading about a podcast, if you're, if you're interested in podcasting, I mean, whatever the thing is, maybe listen to a podcast about podcasting, um, get a microphone, play around with it, um, get a keyboard, get a writing program, write something. There's so much to do. I, it gets me like, well, when people see how I draw, oh, I can never do that. Well, maybe that's not your thing. Right. You know? Your strengths may be in carpentry or building sets or hair design or Making mm-hmm. costumes. You never know until you try. Yeah. And I think it's, that's so important that, it, you know, you don't have to do what everybody else is doing. Right. You know, don't, don't define yourself according to someone else. Don't compare yourself to someone else. Just go do the things that you're interested in. That's, that's why this podcast is called Follow Your Curiosity. What are you curious about? Go, go explore that and see where it takes you. And, you know, stop worrying about all the other stuff because it's not important. Absolutely. I mean, the book, The Subtle Art, is really choosing what you give an F about. Mm-hmm. Some people give an F about the most minute, ridiculous things, and that holds you back from so much, and time is wasted, mm-hmm. and time is fleeting. Unfortunately, the year I shot the park was the year my mom was diagnosed with cancer. And she passed away the week after the film festival. Oof. <laughs> yeah. I had this great weekend that started with me going to film festival on Friday. And then that Sunday, my sister says, you better come up here. Wow. Like, what, are you, what are you talking about? She, I thought she was on the mend. Mm-hmm. And when I get there, and there's this woman I've known my entire life, this vibrant, loving, strong woman. And she's just this frail person in this bed because we had hospice in the house mm-hmm. where my mom and my sister lived in what happened man she was able she was aware of me when i got there that as each day progressed mm-hmm. she was she was drifting more and i you know it wasn't it was weird i wasn't crying at all i thought i would be because we did an actor actor acting exercise years before when i was in acting class about all right imagine you're saying goodbye to someone mm. and i thought of my mom right and the tears came out like, wow. Mm-hmm. But as I'm here with mom, I'm like, my sister's there, my niece is there, other family's there. And I'm like, what can I do? Uh, I mean, I want to be here and I just wanted to give mom energy. And I just sat in front of her and just kind of, I, I was I was okay of saying, if you have to go, mom, you can go. I'm like, mm-hmm. why would I say that? But I knew at that point all the prayers and whatever was not going to work. Right. It was, this was it. 
this was it. I mean, as much hope as I held out, I knew this was it. Like, well, if you need to go, mom, you know, this is your time. So she gave me her car mm -hmm. and, um, my original plan was she was hospitalized in November of that year. And I was going to come for Christmas and then drive back. But this was, I think, December 6th or something like that. So the clock was raised up a little. So I said, okay, I might as well drive the car back now. And so I said goodbye. And I drove back Saturday. And I called my sister Sunday morning to tell her I arrived. And she said, do you want to say anything else to mom? And I said, you know, I arrived safely. Thanks for the car. And then later that night, she passed. It's like, I guess she waited for me to come home. Mm -hmm. And then I think the next day, I saw a rainbow in the sky. I'm like, oh. Oh, wow. <laughs> there you are, Mom. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. It was such a strange year. It's like, I have this great creative thing happening, and I'm dealing with one of the biggest losses at the same time. Mm -hmm. What kind of year is this? So... Uh, time is fleeting, everybody. You can be yeah. here today and gone tomorrow. There is definitely truth to that. And what kind of legacy are you going to leave behind? If you're even interested or curious about trying something, please do it. Do yeah, don't wait. Something. Don't wait. You don't want to live a life of regret that's saying that, hmm, you know, at the time you're going to pass, it's going to happen. And what kind of legacy did you leave behind? What are people going to say about you mm -hmm. at your wake or funeral? And I posed that question at mom's wake. My sister kind of did like a historical thing and she thought I was going to continue that. <laughs> and I kind of did a little bit, but, you know, I felt this responsibility to tell everybody, like, what, what are people going to be saying when it's your time? What are they going to be saying about you? Do you want a life that's just kind of, uh, it just happened. I just kind of existed. Or you, know, you want something that people can be proud of, that people would say, man, my life is better because I knew this person. Yeah. And it can be small things. It's like, I don't, I don't think either one of us wants to put so much pressure on somebody that they're paralyzed because they feel like, <laughs> oh, I must do this big thing and I don't know what it is. You know, <laughs> we're, we're, we're trying to, to get you not to do that. <laughs> But, but yeah, I mean, it can, it can be small stuff. Small stuff can lead somewhere too. What if is the smallest question in the world, but it's the biggest question in the world. So, sure. you know, just follow, follow it, follow it as, as much as you can on any given day and, and see where it takes you. And some, some days you may not be able to do much with it, but you know, the next day just don't give up. So, so yeah. You know, one, one thing can lead to another. Mm -hmm. like, I didn't think it'd be a podcaster. Right. But it led me here. You know, working in a civil department, I'm like, what is that going to do for me? It led me to write a script. Mm -hmm. So be aware and be curious. Yes. That's a great place to leave this. So absolutely. Thank you so much, Alex. This has been a great conversation. Oh, thank you so much, Nancy. It's a pleasure. That's this week's episode. Many thanks to Alex Rudy for sharing his story with us. I've put all the links to his podcast, short film, The Park, and Dead Planet in the show notes. If you know someone who would appreciate this episode, please share it with them. Thanks so much. 
You can find show notes, the six creative beliefs that are screwing you up, and more at fycuriosity.com. I'd also love for you to join the conversation on Instagram. You'll find me at fycuriosity. Follow Your Curiosity is produced by me, Nancy Norbeck, with music by Joseph McDade. If you like Follow Your Curiosity, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your friends. It really helps me reach new listeners. See you next time.